book of Proverbs. In the Old Testament, Proverbs was the book of wisdom. And in the New Testament, James is the book of wisdom. It's a practical book about basically how to live life. A simple explanation of what wisdom is, is how do you live your life? How is life doing what it's supposed to be doing? Are the decisions that we make making life what it ought to be or not? The English word wisdom comes from the Latin word vis, V-I-S, for vision. And, and the D-O-M, dom, is a word that referred to your area of authority. So like a kingdom is the area where the king is in charge. And wisdom is the way in which you are able to see that which is in your sphere of authority and live life the way it's supposed to be lived. And the results is what tells you whether or not it's working. You know, if you buy something that needs to be assembled, of course, as a man, I don't ever look at the instructions. That's kind of a given. But once in a while, I will at least look at the picture on the box just so I know what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to actually do so that then I can go, okay, I think I'm done. I'm not disturbed by spare parts being left over and things like that. I, I find that they always put a lot of extra parts in for no reason. But for a lot of us, our lives are that way. We lose sight of even what it's supposed to look like. Like, what does a life look like? When does it look like it's working? And as a result, we become frustrated and, and angry and bitter and all sorts of things because life isn't going, it, we intuitively know it's not supposed to be this way, but we don't want to take responsibility for the fact that a whole lot of what we did, choices that we made, is what actually made it this way. So we find people to blame. I decide my life is messed up because of other people's bad choices and I become combative and defensive and things like that. Um, James just gets right down to the fact that a life that's lived right looks a certain way. Decisions that are made from wisdom result in a certain kind of life. And poor decisions that are made apart from wisdom also result in a certain type of life. And he is here letting us know, okay, here's what they look like. Here's what life is supposed to be when you do it right. So beginning with verse 13, he said, Who is wise and understanding or intelligent among you? Which of you guys knows what you're doing? Let him show by good conduct... That word good is a word that means attractive, and conduct is a word that means how you behave. Let him show by his attractive behavior that his works, his ergon, who he is, what he does, the direction of his life, are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now that phrase there, meekness of wisdom, is a is an important one because I think it kind of encapsulates everything that he's trying to say. It's not very often that we associate meekness with wisdom. And that word weakness, meekness is a word that means calm or cool, collected, on top of things, under control. And what he is saying is when it's wisdom, it's actually going to, you're going to keep your cool. 
there's a certain calm, there's a certain peace, and he moves towards that as we get to the end of the chapter. But now he begins to describe what that doesn't look like and what it does look like so that at the end of the whole thing, we'll be able to to say on a decision-by-decision, day-by-day basis, am I living my life with the kind of calm that comes with real wisdom or am I doing something else that's counterproductive to getting the results that I want out of my life? And so he goes on in verse 14, and he says, But, on the other hand, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Not everything that pretends to be wisdom is wisdom. Not every decision that you think you're making the right decision is the right decision. And the fact is, of all of the input that we have in the world, most of it is not wisdom. Most of it professes to be wisdom. Whether it's what we drum up on our own or whether it's what people in the world are telling us or what Oprah thinks or anything else, we need to screen it and say, is this really right? And we can look at our own lives. We can look at decisions we make and in retrospect say, was that wise? Was that intelligent? Was that a smart thing to do? Is that wisdom or not? And so it's really important for him to paint the picture as to what fake wisdom looks like, what the lack of wisdom looks like, because then if we can start eliminating those kinds of things, at least we're on the right track. Okay, you know it's not supposed to look like this. It's kind of like when you're out driving somewhere that you, you don't know where you're going, but you know where you're supposed to end up. And many of us don't like to ask directions, don't like to look at maps. Maybe we have a partner who is really not good at looking at maps, but they're also not good at driving. So you're going, I can't do both. And uh, just hypothetical. But, um, <laughs> but it's funny how sometimes you end up in the middle of nowhere, and I still have a decision to make. Do I admit that I took a wrong turn somewhere, or do I insist no, I know I haven't made a mistake, so it must be here somewhere. Well, that's the way some people live their lives. You look and go, this life stinks, but it can't be my fault. And so we continue to do the same things that got us here, thinking that somehow if you keep doing it, eventually you'll, find, you'll work your way out of the situation. So here's what that looks like. If you have bitter envy, the word bitter means sharp, and the word envy, I think that's a poor translation. It's, it's the word zealous in the Greek. We transliterate it to mean zeal, to be the word zealous. But it means, at its root, it means heated up. And what he's saying is that that kind of zeal, that passion, that intensity, that's a sharp zeal, he goes, when it's like that, you're not doing it the right way. Your life is not meant to be lived at this level of adrenaline whereby everything is tight and everything is wound up. Now, unfortunately, zeal masks itself as wisdom. Because you know how it goes. 
If you start arguing with someone, or let's say you have a different perspective than they do, and you're expressing your opinion, what do you do when you aren't able to persuade them of your way? Naturally, what we do as humans is we raise the level of intensity of the discussion, often raising the volume, sometimes increasing the pace, because if I am trying to convince you of something and you don't get it, it must be because you're stupid. It, it can't be because I'm not communicating well. Therefore, I think if I say it a little louder, you'll believe it. If I say it a little more passionately, maybe I will persuade you. And in our society, we actually train people to almost fake an intensity because sometimes that's what it takes to get people's attention, especially in a world where no one knows how to be quiet and everything has a volume control to it, the way that you get attention is by raising volume and being zealous. If I feel this passionately enough, it may not be right, but, but zeal is almost always a cover for insecurity. If my arguments aren't persuasive and I increase the volume, perhaps they will be. And so anger and frustration come into play, but he said, Real wisdom does not look like sharp zeal. That's just not how wisdom presents itself. And he goes on to say, and self-seeking. Self-seeking, that word means that you make sides. You're divisive. You draw a line in the sand and you go, I'm over here and you're over there. That in, in any discussion, you're on one side and anyone who doesn't agree with you is on another side. And James is saying, you really want to live your life that way? Is that really what's going to, what you think is wisdom? Is it wise to do that, to raise your heart rate, to, to take away from your health, to make everyone miserable? He goes, no, wisdom does not look, even if it's, you know, and, and there's a place for passion, okay? There is a place for zeal. But we have those biological capabilities as a fight or flight kind of a thing when we get into a state of emergency there is a time to pick up the notch even in a romantic relationship there's a time where intense passion is appropriate however what we do is we become so addicted to adrenaline that we are constantly operating at this state of intensity and and you know it if somebody who's really calm and quiet all of a sudden you see them getting passionate. Oh, that's interesting. But there are some people who are that worked up about everything. And, and so you naturally discount them, or you have to raise your level of intensity up above theirs to even communicate with them. And there are some people who love this. They, they have on TV all the time these, these commentators who are just constantly yelling at you, or these preachers who are just constantly screaming at you, we're, we're so used to it. And they're always drawing lines. It's always different sides. And that kind of zeal, ultimately, contrary to being wise, it actually leads to paranoia, because everyone's an enemy. And there's somebody, you know, there's a demon under every bush, and there's a, per, there's a conspiracy about everything, and it's just, don't you realize that it goes back to Lincoln's assassination, the Illuminati, and all, and it's like, 
Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. But that's not, that's not wisdom, that kind of thinking. He goes on to say, if, if, if that's what you have, if you have that sharp zeal and divisiveness in your hearts, don't brag and lie against the truth. In other words, face the truth, face it. This isn't the way your life was meant to be lived. Your heart was not meant to race this hard. Your day was not meant to be this jam-packed. There's something better that God has for you than that, so face the truth. This isn't how life is supposed to be lived. He says, that doesn't come from above at all, but it's earthly, literally upon dirt. It's just like in a pile of dirt out there. That's where that comes from. Not only that, he says it's sensual or soulish. It's the word sukikos, comes from, well, the root word is suke, which um, generally is translated soul. The soul of man is the immaterial part of who you are. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, basically. Now, knowing the difference between soul and spirit is a really difficult thing. And that's why the Bible talks about the word being able to divide between soul and spirit. Most of the time, we think it's spirit, but it's really soul. In other words, I think this is something that comes from God, but the truth is I made it up myself. I'm trying to convince others and myself that I am right, and the truth is God's like, what? You're on your own. I, I see what you're doing. Go for it. But that's not me. And he says this kind of wisdom doesn't come from God, even though sometimes we think it is from God. The truth is it's just coming from you. You invented it. It's coming from who you are. You're dreaming this up yourself. And then thirdly, it's demonic. Now, that doesn't mean that it comes from demons, but what, what he's, I think James is referring to is, this is exactly what made the demons demons. This is what made Satan the devil. They were angels. They had a role to play. They had a, a areas of responsibility that were wonderful, but they didn't want to stay there. They wanted to do it their own way. And I'm sorry, Frank Sinatra, doing it your way will get you nowhere. It just doesn't, that's what, that's what got the demons to where they traded away in eternity in heaven, worshiping God, serving him and being blessed by him, to where now they're in misery and where they're going is even more miserable. And he goes, that's what your wisdom is like. That's what that advice that you're getting is going to get you ultimately. Because where zeal, literally, and divisiveness exist, there's confusion. And that word confusion means literally instability. It's things are kind of out of control. They're falling apart. And every evil thing is there. So that's describing one life. And he's saying, if your life looks like this, guess what? You're not walking in wisdom. You're not doing it right. If what your life looks like is this constant intensity, if your life is built around divisiveness where more and more you find that everyone's against you, if you feel like you are trying to save the universe and everybody else isn't and, and there's this, you know, it, things, your life's falling apart, it's you can't even just sit down and relax or enjoy a day when people look at you. They think life must be about stress because that's how you live your life. 
James is going, you're fooling yourself if you think that's wisdom. You were not designed to live that way. And Jesus, who said, I have come that you would have life and that more abundantly, he didn't mean that he would make your life even more crammed full of stuff. It's that you would enjoy life and people would see how you do life and they would be drawn to that. Jesus was one who was never in a hurry. He waited 30 years before he even went into the ministry and only lasted for three years of ministry. And he said, everything that God wanted me to do, I did. And he was at peace when he would just break up a crowd and leave, get in a boat and take off, climb a mountain, whatever he had to do. He didn't live with the level of intensity that we do, somehow thinking that we are going to make up in volume what we lack in quality. And James is just going, that's not how life works. That's not how you need to do this. Now he says, but, again, in verse 17, the wisdom, the Sophia, that is from above, is first pure. So the word for pure here is the same word that's the root of it is translated for holy. But what it means is it's filtered out. It's simple. It's, it's basic. And when it's God's wisdom, it cuts through all the complications and it just lays it out for you. There's a simplicity and a purity to it. It's not like drinking a bottle of stuff that has every nutrient that anybody ever wanted and squished up vegetables and all kinds. No, it's just simple, clean, bottled water. <laughs> Pure water. It's, it's simple. And sometimes you just need pure. You just need simple. And wisdom is that way. Wisdom comes into a complicated situation, and it cuts to the chase. And you know that you're hearing from God when all of a sudden you've been torn and bouncing around, and you're stressed, and it's making you crazy. And all of a sudden, a simple thought comes in, and it's like, really? It's that easy? It's that simple? Yeah. That's what wisdom is. It's not complicated. It's not complex. It's not a big jigsaw puzzle that you have to put together to explain. It's pure. And it's also, he says, it's peaceable or peaceful. You can fake being peaceful, but the truth is generally people can look at you and tell if you're at peace. Many of us have become satisfied with having no peace because we just don't think it's even possible because of all the circumstances that surround us, not realizing that those circumstances are the way they are because we decided to live in that kind of an environment or we decided to put ourselves around people who bring that into our lives or we chose a way of life that robs us of our peace. Make no mistake about it. When you're living life right, there's a peace. There's a, a sense of calm. And again, that's what he was talking about with the meekness of wisdom. It's, it's peaceful. And if you're scrambling and you're frantic and you're stressed and your blood pressure is going up and you're, you're, you're falling apart, that's not what wisdom looks like. So how about backing up a little bit and thinking, what unwise decisions have I made in life that are robbing me of the peace? Paul talked about 
the fruit of the Spirit. Someone who's walking in the Spirit. And he said what their life looks like is love and joy and peace. And he goes on and says, you know, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. There's no denying it. You can fake it if you want. Peace comes as you're walking in wisdom. Now, it's funny because there are some people in the world who at least have an innate understanding that that's the way life ought to be. And so they try to find all sorts of ways to discover peace. I think no one emphasizes this more, certainly, than the Buddhists. Because even though they don't believe in a god, they believe in that getting to a state of contentment and peace would be a desirable thing. And I absolutely agree with them. And what they're trying to do is what we were designed to do, and that is to find peace. The problem is they really haven't found a way to get there. And so they fake it, they pretend. Um, obviously, sometimes they end up like, and many of you are too young to even remember the show, but, but uh, Kung Fu with David Carradine as Kwai Ying Chung or whatever his name was, Kwai Ching. But he would come into town as this man of peace. And by the end of the show, he beat everybody up in the town. <laughs> and in the same way, like, I, I see Buddhists over in countries where Buddhism is predominant. Like in Cambodia, you go to Poi Pet, and all oh, these men of peace are walking around with a bucket in the dump, begging for money from people who live in the dump. And I think, nice try, but I'm not really buying this. It doesn't look like it's really working for you. But at least they're right about one thing. Life is designed to be peaceful. And if you're not finding peace, something's wrong. Something's not the way it's supposed to be. And then he says also, it's gentle. Gentle. We used to have a term, a gentleman. And it was considered that a gentleman was what a man ought to be, is gentle. And that term has kind of gone by the wayside along with gentility, I suppose. The, the word here for, for gentle is an interesting word. It takes the word I case, which is a word for like or similar, and it's, and it's prefixed by the word epi, which means upon. And so it's upon similarities is what this word gentle means. How that etymology developed and why it means gentle is the idea of this word is that when I contact others, I am going to build relationship on our similarities. I'm going to be connected with people based on what we have in common. And the truth is that we have so much in common with everyone we know, and yet most of the time we define our distinctions instead of our commonalities, and we become divided from everyone. And so if my attitude when I meet someone is, I'm going to find out where they're different than I am, well, pretty soon that's not going to be a relationship. If instead I say, there's a person that looks really different, but I'm going to find out what we have in common. And of course, what the Lord has done for us by sending Jesus to die for us puts us all in the same boat. And so that's where you start. The truth is, whether someone's a believer in Christ or not, you have one thing in common with them right off the bat is that God loves them and God loves you passionately. 
and he desires us to get along with each other. But that's what comes out ultimately as gentility. Being gentle is based on the fact that I connect with people based on what we share rather than on what we have differently. Now, again, it's wise to live that way. Now, sometimes it seems really smart to establish your ground and to draw the lines of difference. But he said, that's demonic wisdom. That's earthly wisdom. That's psychic wisdom. That is not wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that comes from God is gentle. And it's amazing how if you're gentle with people and you connect with them in that kind of a positive way, you'll end up having a bunch of friends. If you don't, You'll end up being alone, and then you'll blame other people for why your life is so miserable. James would say, no, this is about wisdom and how you haven't exercised it. You've made choices that got you where you are today. And then he says, willing to yield. This is a a word that means, well, it's the prefix you, E-U, which means good or well. And the other word is... uh, is pythes, which means persuade. And what this word means essentially is that you're good at being persuaded. The idea is, I am open to being wrong. I'm humble. Hey, please, if you can convince me that I'm wrong somewhere, I'll appreciate it, because I want to be right. If you have some input that might help me to live more productively, I'm open to it. Wisdom is always that way. It's like, I don't have to be right just because it's me and I want to be right. I'm not going to live my life like it's a huge contest. And whoever wins the most arguments wins at the end. No. Hey, I'm open to being convinced. When you aren't open to being convinced, then it's deadly because you'll never change. You can never do any better than you are right now unless you're open to making adjustments. If you become rigid and, and just locked into who you are, then life is over for you at that point. Because what wisdom does is it tells us where to move, where to make adjustments. And when we stop doing that, we stop living in wisdom. And he goes on and he says, full of mercy. That word just means compassionate. You care about people. You're feeling them. Now, it's really funny because there are some people who have deep feelings for others, but the way that they treat others obliterates that completely. And that's why, for instance, purity and peacefulness come before mercy because there are a lot of people who deep down inside really care about others. But because they've never learned to walk in peace and because they've never really learned to calm down, and to cool the fires of zeal, then they never get to the point where anyone ever recognizes that they are a merciful person. And this is really sad when it happens. Some of the most bitter and resentful and zealous people I know are people who have deep hearts of love, but they'll never experience the peace that God has for them until they can get to the point where they realize, I need to walk in this wisdom And this wisdom is all about peacefulness, ultimately. He goes on and says, full of mercy and good fruits. So what comes out of your life is what grows out of a a spirit-led life. And so that means love, joy, peace, 
patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's what life looks like. That's the fruit that grows from a real tree. And so James is calling us to account for that and saying, if you're making wise choices, this is what your life starts to look like. And please, he would say, be smart enough to recognize if this isn't what your life looks like, you got here by using the wrong parts in the wrong way or at the wrong time. You goofed up on the directions somewhere along the line. Because if the fruit isn't there, then the reality is to be questioned. And so often we think that the most important thing is to be right. And then after that, if we find somebody else who's right also, then we're with them. The way to be right is to subject yourself to the Spirit of God to allow Him to mold and shape you. And then even when we disagree with others, we can do it in a peaceful and a loving and a merciful way God doesn't want us all to be alike. Have you ever noticed how different we all are? Well, that was by design. None of us is supposed to be the sole picture of what life looks like, but together we can give people the notion that, yeah, this works. This is real. And he also says it's without partiality, not not prejudice, not cheating, not stacking the deck, and... And I'm glad he put this last, without hypocrisy. Because so often we know what the life is supposed to look like, so we pretend it. And we think we can pretend it into existence. If I act all of these things, then fake it till you make it, and maybe it'll actually happen. But he's saying, no, this isn't a phony thing. This isn't a thing where you pose as a certain type of person. This is something real that God wants to do in your life. And so ultimately it says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Ultimately, it's peace that's the shining characteristic here that he's referring to that earlier he called the meekness of wisdom. Jesus one time said to his disciples, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am meek and lowly and you will find rest for your souls. That's what he is calling us to. That's how life is supposed to look. And James here is just filling in the, connecting the dots and saying, if that's not what your life is like, something's wrong and something should change. Because the life of wisdom looks like this. It's a life of peace. It's not a life of intensity. In our society, we are programmed toward efficiency. We are programmed to believe that if there's a little space of time, we need to fill that time. That there's no such thing as having a free day or a free couple hours. No, we need to be efficient and fill that time. So even... You know, in, it goes way back to when movies had, were on reels and they had to be changed. They would have a commercial break so they could change the, over to the next reel of the movie. And we still do that in television with these commercial breaks. And 
in some ways it's because the intensity of our entertainment is so heavy. Like I'm watching Jack Bauer and he's trying to save the world and it's so intense and all of a sudden, beep, it stops and now here we go, you know, you ought to buy one of these cars, you need this, you need that, you need to buy this and then boom, tick, 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 tick and Jack is back. And it's really at a good time. I love it because, I mean, now Jack's mad after they kill Renee. And so I'm just like, come on, these stinking commercials. And then I go, the TiVo is the greatest invention ever because I don't have to wait. And I can actually watch an hour of 24 in about 45 minutes just by fast forwarding. But for a lot of us, that may be okay for entertainment. It's a funny way to relax, I suppose. But... I prefer just watching people beating on each other. But, but for most of us, that's our life. It's like just one thing, ooh, got a spare minute, what can I do? We're told that, oh, it's a great thing to have you know, your computer in your phone and in your car and everywhere else because you don't have to waste that time sitting at a red light for 30 seconds. Oh, you can use the time. You can learn a foreign language in your spare time or, you know. <laughs> James would look at us and shake his head and go, that's not wisdom. You're designed to have chunks of space in your life. In their day, if they were going to go somewhere, they walked. They got exercise. They had time to talk. Much of Jesus' teachings happened out on the road. Well, we've made the road go by really fast. And, you know, we multitask, Bluetooth makes it easy to actually do business and drive your car and listen to music at the same time, James would just go, is that really what you want out of life? Is that really the way you think you're designed to live? Do you just want to stay on that treadmill every second and never find any joy or peace or mercy or love? Listen, we are adrenaline junkies. And eventually, adrenaline is there for emergency situations or for momentary times of passion. But we're not designed to function on adrenaline all the time. And so when we do, now you have to find artificial means to pump yourself up. Whether it's somebody pep-talking you, come on, you can do it, you're a wonderful person. Or whether it's just alcohol or drugs or, you know, other activities, putting yourself into an artificial space. You know, I love going on a cruise for vacation, but it's funny because it sounds great. Man, just out on a boat, no phone, no internet. Well, now they have phones, they have internet. And not only that, every time the, the boat lands every day, it's like zip lines, motorcycle rides, off-road adventures, jet skis. It's almost like we're afraid to do nothing. But the way that we are designed, the life of wisdom, is a life that starts and ends with peace, that causes us to feel like I don't have to continue to strive. And that's what James is getting at here. And we need to be honest enough with ourselves to look at our lives and say, does this look more like the soulish wisdom? Or is the advice that I'm getting coming from Sources that would tell me to push a little harder? Or am I really getting God's peace? And for some of it, maybe it takes most of a lifetime of knocking yourself out before you finally realize, I don't think life is supposed to be this way. 
I think for some people, the first revelation of what life is really all about is when they hold their grandchild in their arms and they go, I have never wanted to sit still and be quiet so much in my life and to talk sweetly to someone and to just try to make them smile and say grandpa and all that kind of thing. And it's like all of a sudden we go, I get it. I think this is closer to what life is about than what I've been trying so hard to do. And James is just going, figure that out. Live a life of wisdom. Live a life that brings about the kind of purity and peace, gentleness and negotiability and mercy and good fruit. Do that now. And you will enjoy life and you'll finally be doing life the way life is supposed to be done. Most people will never get to that point. But I pray that as God speaks to our hearts that some of us will be nudged in the direction away from that passionate zeal and intensity of divisiveness and over toward a place of peace. A place where like back in the day people would sit out on their front porch rock in a rocking chair and say hi to the neighbors who walked by. You know, now if you do that you need a shotgun on your lap. We've gone terribly wrong. And I'm not a Luddite. I'm not trying to, you know, turn the clock back. I'm just saying, if you can't find a place of peace where you're at, something's wrong. And that something comes down to our wisdom, decisions that we make. We have a lot more choices than we think, and, and we pay the consequences of our choices much more than we believe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today to us. Thank you for the fact that you not only told us how great life could be, you promised to give us that life, and then you demonstrated it. Help us to walk in this kind of wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.